Yo, what's going on, church? How are we? Yes, there is some life in this crowd. I love it. I love it. So my name is uh, Connor. I'm a pastor here at Calvary. I normally work with middle schoolers. But today I'm hanging out with y'all, and so I'm stoked to be here. Um, for some of you, it's like you guys are freshmen and you feel like you just said goodbye, and I already apologized to some of you for like ruining your Sunday. You're like, I thought I was done with this guy. It's like, I'm back. Um, oh my gosh, that's like that scary horror movie intro. What's the like, I'm back? Sorry, that's, I shouldn't be talking about that in a sermon. That's not good. That's not good. But anyways, for those of you who haven't seen for a while, it's so good to see your beautiful faces. You guys are tall, and I love it, and I love it. And so I'm stoked to be here hanging out with high school for this evening. I'm, I'm stoked because you guys, uh, you're taller, so I don't have to look so far down at middle schoolers. Uh, you wear more deodorant, so I haven't had to smell much BO this morning. Just saw a couple of you check. That's concerning. Maybe I take that back. Um, and I'm also excited because often when I'm teaching to middle school, like, I don't want to tell stories that don't make sense to middle schoolers. Like, often when I'm telling stories, I, I try to avoid, like, very high school or, like, college-aged things because, like, they don't get it. So sometimes I avoid, like, driving stories or some other things because it's like they can't connect. They don't really know what I'm talking about. But today... I'm hanging out with some high schoolers. And so I have an embarrassing high school story to tell you. Are you ready? Oh, I love it. I love it. So the year, I'm not going to say the year. I was young. Um, <laughs> I had life in my bones. No, um, I, I was young. I was 16 years old. So it was between my uh, sophomore and junior year of high school. I was hanging out with my buddies, my best bud, Chris, and my other homie, Saroosh. And so me, Chris, and Saroosh were kicking it. And we're like, bro, it's summer. What are we going to do? And they couldn't drive, but I could. And so we're like, let's just like drive around. <laughs> I don't know. And so we're like driving around. We're like, where are we going to go? I don't know if you guys have ever been in the car where you're like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? It's like so unhelpful. So it was one of those moments. And so we're, we're cruising around. And eventually he's like, oh, like our friend's Matt, our friend Maddie works at that movie theater. Like we should go say hi. Okay, yeah, sure. So we go, we say hi, and we pull up, and Maddie's like, hey, Connor, Chris, and Saroosh, like, what's up? You guys coming to see a movie? We're like, no, we're just coming to talk to you. I don't know. It, there wasn't much of a plan. It was weird. And so kind of awkward, but she's like, well, what are you guys going to do? And we told her, we're like, Maddie, we have no idea what to do. What do you think we should do? And as we ask her, there is a creepy, well, that's not a nice thing to say, but it's true. So he was a creepy man, and he was off to the side. He was working, like, filling a Slurpee or something, you know, like scooping popcorn, something very movie theater-esque. And he turns to me, and he's like, you should light off some fireworks in a parking lot. And we're like, what? Like, <laughs> like okay, creepy man. Like, I let it pass, you know. A uh, little weird. And so we're like, uh, yeah, great idea, but it's like, we don't have any fireworks. I know this is like 4th of July weekend, so like some of you might have fireworks. You know, it was like, we don't just have fireworks laying around in our trunk. And he turns and he goes, I got some fireworks in my trunk. <laughs> it's a great start to our afternoon. So obviously we did the very wise thing and refused the fireworks. Just kidding. We said, yes, please, creepy man. Let's go to your car and get your fireworks. And so we go to the parking lot. He's, I'm like... It's so weird. I don't know. We were just so excited. And like after we were like, we probably shouldn't have followed that man in his car in the parking lot. But anyways, he opens up his trunk and he's like, here are the fireworks. I was expecting like, I don't know if you guys have lit any fireworks this weekend, but you know when you're like, like a little one and it's like, and then like he goes, and you're like, oh, so cool. Like I'm not three. That's not entertaining. And everyone's like, well, let's do another one. And you're like, 
I am wasting my time, right? Like, that was a, that's what I was expecting. I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, better than doing nothing. And so he opens his trunk, and this man's got, like, 4th of July Disneyland-level fireworks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even know what it was. I was just like, oh, that looks like a bomb. Like, this is not good. This is not safe. But obviously, we're like, yes, please, creepy man, give us your fireworks. Go back to work. So we take his fireworks. He goes back to work. And we, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we were so nervous. Like, we had, we had no idea what, like, what would happen when we lit the fuse, you know? Like, we were just terrified. And so, like, for an hour, we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So we drive around. We go to this basketball court. We put it at the half-court mark. My buddy, Chris, lights it. He runs away. We're all running. It makes this insanely loud sound, like car alarms going off. Our ears are hurting. But we were so scared, we didn't see it. Like, we were just running. It was like, boom, boom, and we're like, you know, they're like, grab the thing. And so we like grab the little thing that launches the firework, grab it, jump in the car. And we're like, like, that was amazing. Here's the thing though. It's like 11, 1130 at night on like a Tuesday in the summer. So like us being in high school, we're like, oh, nothing's going on. But like the world has work and like wants to sleep and dogs are just like upset. So we went around and we just like terrorized every neighborhood and dog in Westlake Village because of how many fireworks we sent off up until like 1 a.m. Just like lighting one, it would go like 100 something feet in the air, explode. We're like, wow, that's crazy. And we grab it and then go back to my car. Here's the thing though. When I did that, was that a wise thing to do? The answer is no. Thank you, Jaden. I appreciate you. Was that a legal thing to do? No. Was that a kind thing to do? No. Here's the lesson. If you don't remember anything, please just like don't do that. I had another story I was going to tell that's maybe a little, no, I'm not going to tell it because it's like more feasible for you guys to copy. I tried to get one where, you know, hopefully you guys don't meet a man with uh, fireworks in his trunk. Um, anyways, here's the thing. It's funny in the moment, and we had a lot of fun and took a lot of videos, but I remember when I got like a couple days later, and now as an adult, I look back, and I'm like, not only was that just dumb, like that, like who knew what we were getting? That was just stupid, but like we could have gotten in serious trouble and not even like getting in trouble. Like that's just mean, right? Like every single dog in the neighborhood that we'd fire one off would just probably go crazy. You know how dogs just like lose their minds and all of a sudden there's like some parents that are like, what's happening? Oh no, and they're out of the bed. And we probably did that to like 20, 30, 40, 50 households while we're just like, oh, we're in high school. This is funny, ha, 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 right? Like that was not a kind thing to do. And so here's my question. Here's what I want us to think about before we get into the scriptures. I want us to think about who should I apologize to? Because if I walked up to like, like Drew, who was up here a little bit earlier, and I was like, Drew, dude, I'm so, it kind of makes sense, Drew, that I, I ruined my own analogy. Because it might make sense to apologize to him because he was on staff in high school ministry. and was like my youth leader. So like I brought shame upon you and I apologize for bringing up the shame again. I don't even know where Drew is. But so somebody else. I can't just walk up to Jaden Mikes and I can't be like, yo, Jay, dude, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me for lighting off those fireworks? It's like he can say yes and that doesn't matter at all. Y'all tracking? Like, like I can't just walk up to any of you and be like, guys, please give me some grace. Please give me some forgiveness. I'm so sorry. It's like, that doesn't matter. What would matter, what would be impactful is if I wanted some grace, I wanted some forgiveness, I would go to the people that I hurt. Like I would go drive around these neighborhoods 10 years later uh, and <laughs> just like knock on their door and be like, hey, do you remember like way back when the firework and the, 
That's weird. That doesn't make any sense. My, my illustration is losing. But you guys know what I'm saying, right? Like, to ask for forgiveness, I have to ask for forgiveness for the people who I harmed. Like, I need grace, not from you guys or not from my friends or my family. I need grace from the people that have hurt, the people that I've wronged, the people that I've made mistakes against. And so today, this morning, oh, this morning, I'm in a church building, and so my brain says it's morning. But this evening, we're going to consider what do we do and, like, who do we go for for grace? Like, when we need some grace, when we need some forgiveness, who do we go for, how do we respond, and what do we do? If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament or New Testament. There we go, new, right? You guys are like, eh, new old. <laughs> like, you're like hedge, hedging your bet. No, new, New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. It is a, an account of Jesus, his ministry, his life, the things he said, the things he did. And we're gonna jump in this evening. Before we do that, I wanna pray and then we're gonna look at his word. If you've, been, if you've heard me teach before, you've likely heard me talk about how uh, we actually have a relationship with God. Um, so whether you're like an atheist and you don't believe that, I, I'm so glad you're here. That's all good. Um, but we believe that God actually listens to us when we pray, like we can speak and he hears. And then also he speaks back to us through his word. And so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna look at his word as it would speak to us this evening. Lord, God, we thank you for the chance to gather together as your church, as your children. And God, I pray that your spirit would guide my words, would guide our evening together. Even uh, as we hang out after the service, God, would your name be blessed and would we, would we bring glory and honor to the name of King Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, if you are there in your Bible, slash looking on the screen behind me, say amen. Yes. There we go. I tried that at the 11 a.m. service and it was like, <laughs> I was like, I, I, anyways, it was shocking. It was shocking. I'm distracting myself. Mark chapter two, let's lock it in. Here we go. Um, there's been one chapter of the book of Mark. He's already done some miracles. He's called his disciples. A lot of things have happened. Like rumors are starting to spread that Jesus is pretty dope. Like people want to see his miracles, want to hear his teachings. And so a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to him. So let's pause. Capernaum, you might think that Jesus' home is, he's born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, but like Capernaum, like, is kind of like his home. And in, in, in the book of, um, well, in the Gospels, we see he goes there all of the time. So he's kind of like returning back to like his home base. And so as he returns, um, people have like spoken about him, right? Like people have shared rumors or like been like talking about, like, hey, did you hear what Jesus did? Did you hear what Jesus said? So he's in town and the whole city is like, let's go see Jesus. They go to where he's at, where he's teaching and there's no room left, not even outside the door. Let's continue. We're gonna see what he is up to and what people he interacts with. Verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. Woo, okay, so now the story is building, right? We got Jesus, we got this crowd, and it's so busy that all of a sudden they, like, this is so wild to me. They're like, let's just dig a hole in the roof, right? <laughs> like, 
I don't care who lives there. We're digging a hole. We're getting to Jesus, right? Like, can you imagine? Let's just like put ourselves in the story. Sometimes we um, read the Bible and it's like, oh, that was a really long time ago. And I like, and we start to just, I don't know, make it some story from so long time ago. But let's try to imagine ourselves in a similar space. Imagine who's like a celebrity you would want to go see. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, right? So Ryan Reynolds, he is uh, at the Staples Center just to tell people some jokes, right? And millions of people buying tickets. You're like, let's go, Ryan Reynolds. Like, you're showing up. You go, and like, you can't even get a parking spot. Eventually, you get a parking spot, and Staples Center slash crypto thing um, is like, packed out, right? You can't even get there. Imagine how disappointed you would be. Like, it would be frustrating if you wanted to go. And so these friends are bringing their friend to Jesus. And all of a sudden, they get stuck outside. But somehow, for some reason, that doesn't stop them. They're like determined, we're going to get to Jesus. And so they climb on the roof and get a jackhammer out and just start plowing away at the ceiling. Can you imagine how wild this would be? Like, everybody's going to listen to Jesus. The room is packed. You're, like, squished in the corner. And then all of a sudden, like, shovels are coming in from the, from the roof above you. Like, things are falling onto people. And then they just uh, bring their friend. And they, did we already read the verse? Yes. They, dig, they dug through the roof, and then they lowered the mat the, the man was lying on. So all of a sudden, you're here to see Jesus, the miracle worker, the great teacher. He's teaching. And all of a sudden... There's a man who's paralyzed, brought down in front of him. And so we have this tension, right? I, I can imagine some people are sitting here and are kind of like, I think I would be like frustrated. I'd be like, man, I'm trying to listen to Jesus teach. Like, what's going on with these crazy people on the roof, right? Like, I would be kind of frustrated. But I think some people are like, oh my gosh, like, Jesus does miracles. Here we go. Like, you know, they're like, what's going to happen next? This is crazy. And so there's probably a wide range of feelings that people are at, but let's see what happens as the story continues. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, pause, here we go, right? Like, this is it. The people have come to Jesus, the miracle worker, the who casts out demons, who just speaks and things happen. And all of a sudden, there's somebody who needs healing. And everybody is there thinking, we get to see Jesus do what we've heard. Like, we're so stoked. Let's see what happens. Oh my gosh, Jesus, he's going to say something to the man. What is he going to say? And so he turns and he says to the man, he saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Right? Like, I know we're in church, and so you see the word sin, and you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're in church. That's a churchy word. Like, makes sense. It's in the Bible, right? But, like, let's pause and think. They're expecting healing, they're expecting miracles. And all of a sudden, Jesus, out of left field, the man hasn't said anything, says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Woo! It's like, wait, what's going on here with Jesus? Remember my story earlier. The only person who can forgive you, the only person who can give grace to somebody is the person who's been wronged. And so you might ask, well, what did this man do to Jesus? He hasn't done anything. And so Jesus in this moment is actually claiming to be God himself. 
Because only God can forgive sins because God is who we've sinned against. And so Jesus in this moment, they're expecting one thing and Jesus gives them something completely different. They're expecting healing and he's talking about sins. And so he is showing grace, this, this um, grace being undeserved favor or undeserved kindness. But all of the sudden we see that Jesus is claiming I'm God and I'm going to be the one to forgive you. Like you have wronged me and I am the one who can offer you grace, this undeserved kindness, this undeserved favor. And so the, some of the people in the room, they start to, um, I, I imagine some in the room are like amazed. They're, they're full of faith. They're like, wow, Jesus is God. Like he's the Messiah we're waiting for. This is amazing. He's the one who offers forgiveness of sins. But some people were just pissed. This is what it says, verse six. Now, some teachers of the law, sometimes we describe, uh, they can be, well, one group of them is called the Pharisees, but it's like the people who like think they know it all. They are like the big dogs. They know what you can and cannot do, can and cannot say when it comes to religious things. And so the teachers of the law, they're sitting there and they start thinking to themselves, why does this follow, fe follow fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the teachers, they're, they're picking up quickly with what Jesus is saying. They're like, you're not allowed to do that. You're not God. We've sinned against God, not against you, Jesus. And so they're getting frustrated. They're getting angry. And now the story continues. <laughs> I love this next part. Jesus just like, you'll see. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, so Jesus like knows. He's like, I know these guys are pissed off at me. They think I shouldn't have said that. And so this is what he says. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mats and walk. And so he kind of like challenges them, right? Hey, what's more difficult for someone to just say your sins are forgiven or to perform a miracle right in front of your very eyes? And so they don't respond. They kind of sit, they're listening. And he continues, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' most often claims title for himself, I want you to know that the Son of Man, like I, have authority on earth to forgive sins. Like I am God, I am the Messiah, the one who's coming to save, to give grace and to get, offer forgiveness. So he turns, he turns to the man, he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The man, he got up. He took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus, clearly in this story, gives grace, undeserved favor, undeserved um, kindness to like everybody in this room, right? He is just offering grace left and right. He's like a giver of grace to these people. Obviously, he shows grace to this paralyzed man. First, he says, your sins are forgiven, and then he says, get up and walk. So he heals him not only of his eternal problems, his eternal issues, like the worst problem that that man had was his sins against God, and Jesus says, those are gone because of your faith. Then after that, he also heals his temporary issues, his, his pain, his, his paralysis, and so he, he heals him both of eternal and temporary pains. He shows grace to these four friends. Can you imagine these four friends? They're like, we've heard about Jesus. I'm gonna bring my friend to Jesus. And all of a sudden, he gets healed. They get to see the miracle. They are shown grace and undeserved kindness by God. Jesus shows grace to the whole room there, right? He's teaching them. 
he's listening. He's like, the room is so packed in. He's not like excluding anybody like, yeah, there's too many people in here. Get out, come back tomorrow, right? He's like, come on in, squeeze on in, squeeze on in. Just stand outside, I'll yell so you can hear me through the windows, right? Like Jesus shows undeserved kindness and favor and love to the people in the room. Jesus even gives grace to the Pharisee or to the teachers of the law, right? Because they were thinking that things that they shouldn't have. And Jesus, I think it would have been, um, Jesus had every right to just not say anything to them. But he said, I know you're thinking incorrectly. And so he corrects their thoughts as well. He goes, hey, listen, I know you think that I shouldn't be saying this, but watch what I'm gonna do, man, get up and walk. And so Jesus shows grace to every single person in this story. And so I wanna ask this question, so what? Like, why, why does this matter? Why are we looking at this today? Is this just some story from 2,000 years ago, or does this actually matter for us? Obviously, I'm gonna claim that it does. It has life-changing impact on our lives today. It, it does because similar to the paralyzed man, you and I, both, all of us, have sinned against God as well. Like the biggest problem of your life, you're born in this world, the biggest issue is not whether you're gonna get, um, do well in school or get on this right sports team. The biggest issue of your life is that you're messed up, you have evil desires, evil thoughts, evil actions, and what are you gonna do with them? The God of this universe created you to obey him, to be full of joy, and daily you're turning your back to him whether you want to or not, whether you think about it or not, like the biggest problem of your life is that you have sinned against the God who is absolutely in control, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so what do we do? Here, I got four ideas for us as we consider how do we respond to this grace, this undeserved favor, undeserved kindness that Jesus offers. Here's the first thing. And this is for, I think, uh, one, it's for everybody, but particularly those who do not consider themselves a Christian. You're like, ah, I've been coming to church, but my parents just forced me to go. I'm not really about this, or like, it's just kind of the thing that I do, like go to church and like I get in heaven one day, cool. Or like, you're thinking something like that. This is for you. Jesus gives grace, but you have to go to him, right? In verse two, we saw it's like Jesus offered grace to the people in that room, to the teachers, to the man on the mat, to the friends. He gives grace but they went to him, right? Like Jesus doesn't just healing people who are running away, like people who aren't there. The people who received grace turned, heard about Jesus and said, I want, I want to go to him, right? They sought out Jesus. Here's the thing, I want to be clear. Yes, the God of the Bible is clearly a God who chases after sinners who are walking away. Like Luke 15, we're going to talk about it in a second. Uh, if you were here on Tuesday, Sophia talked about it, where the, there's this lost coin or the lost sheep or the prodigal son, like God, these stories where it shows that God chases after, like leaves the 99 for the one, leaves the nine coins to find the one coin. Like he chases after people who are running from him. But if you don't turn to Jesus, he's not going to force you to accept his gift, right? Like he has a gift of grace that he says, I want you to have. And some of you are just turning your back and running. Like, I, I wonder if there are people in this room who they show up to church, then they go home, they don't think about God, and they are just, like, loving their sin, right? Like, we all struggle with sin. Like, I go home every single day, and I'm battling sins. I'm battling the way, the, the pride of my heart, the anger, my impatience, whatever it might be. Like, I'm struggling with my sin, and often I fall to it. So 
All of us fall to sin. But there are some people who aren't struggling with sin. They're loving their sin, right? Like there is this like, I go to church and then after that, sure, I've heard Connor or Aaron or Drew, whoever else talk about something. Like I do not care what the Bible says. I do not care what God asks of me. I want to live my life my way. And then you show up to church on Sunday and you start to think, oh, I don't really just feel like worshiping God. I don't feel very close to him. What? You've been running for a week and all of a sudden you get to church and you're like, well, it just doesn't feel very close to him. It's like Jesus is offering you this undeserved gift, this grace. He says, turn to me. I want to give it to you. I want a relationship with you. And so if we are just running and running and loving our sin, turning away from God, Jesus is saying, listen, I have a gift of grace for you. I want to forgive you, but turn to me. Like, get to know me. And so how do we turn to God? Do we just show up to church? Maybe. Like, I work for a church. <laughs> I love church. I want you to go to church all the time, <laughs> to be honest, to be very clear. But if your main way of turning to God is just showing up at church, I think you're, you're absolutely missing the mark. To turn to God means to posture your heart, to make a decision in your mind, in your heart, that like, Jesus, I want you. And so, yes, that happens at church, but the goal, the way that we receive grace is by going to Jesus. And I hope some of you tonight can turn back to Jesus again and once again or for the first time accept this free gift, this undeserved grace or favor that Jesus offers to his people. That's the first thing. The second thing that we, I want us to notice from this passage of Jesus lavishing grace upon his people is that good friends point their friends to Jesus. Right, like good friends, they're bringing their friends to Jesus. Some of you, because I did this in high school, you go to church, you go to small group, you go to Tuesday summer nights, you go to summer camp, you go to winter camp, you do the churchy things, you have all the churchy friends, and then anytime you're not at church, like you don't talk about God. Right, like some of us have Christian friends that we've met maybe here or at other churches, I don't know, and then all of a sudden you get somewhere else and it's like, uh, like talking about Jesus, like that's like, uh, that's kind of weird. Like I don't want to be the spiritual guy of my friends. What? Right? Can you imagine if these four friends said that? Well, you know, we really love our buddy, but like we don't want to be overly spiritual. You know, that's kind of weird. What if like, what if it doesn't work? Like that wasn't a part of it. They had courage. They were brave. They brought their friend who needed Jesus to Jesus. Good friends point their friends to Jesus. Some of you need to give permission to your friends to do that. I've had friends come up to me and say, and I've done this to others as well, saying, hey, like, I need you to call me on my junk. I need you to call me out when I'm messing up. And like, I'm going to just accept it because I want the accountability. I want to grow. I want to be better. And I need friends for it. And so my encouragement for some of you is you don't need a bunch of friends. You need like two, one, one to two good friends who you can text, who you can say, hey, I want you to call me on my junk. I want you to point me to Jesus in my conversations outside of church. Like when we're just hanging out, let's talk about God. When we are just having fun, let's pray together. Like that is what good friends do for one another. They point their friends to Jesus. Here's a third point, that pride robs us of our joy. That our pride robs us of our joy. We see this in verse 6 and 7, which I will read again. It has to do with these teachers. Now, some of the teachers of the law, they were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
right? The, the teachers, they were thinking, I would do it this way. Why would you do it that way? You're wrong, I'm right. Like the core of that, it's pride. It is absolutely, the core of it is just pride. Some of you guys may be familiar with the, the story of the prodigal son. I mentioned it earlier in Luke chapter 15. I'd encourage you to go read it uh, maybe later today or tomorrow or something. So Luke chapter 15, go read it, pray on it, meditate on it, study it, think about it, and let it shape your heart. Because there's these, this story. Here's the quick summary of the story. Uh, two sons, one goes to their dad who's really rich. Yo, give me some money. I know, like, I don't really love you guys. So dad's like, yeah, here's some money. He goes and like just parties his face off for some amount of time. Like, he's just like living it up, right? And then all of a sudden, he runs out of cash. And he's like, yo, this kind of stinks. He has a job. And then he's like feeding pigs food. And he's like, I kind of want to eat this pig food. And he kind of realizes like, yo, this kind of sucks. I should probably just go back to my dad. And like, maybe he'll like give me a job again and I can work. And so he goes back to his dad. And surprise, surprise, the point of this story is that this father of the story, who's representative of God, welcomes the son with open arms. Like, does the same, gives this undeserved favor, this undeserved kindness, forgiveness to this younger son. And I know for some of you, maybe you relate to him, but I think for most of us, we relate to, and I want you to go read the story and see how the focus of the story at the end is not on the younger son at all. It's completely about the older son. It's about how he burns with anger. He's sitting there, they throw a party, and he's just so, like, so frustrated, so upset with his dad. Dad, I've been doing this. I deserve this. What the heck? My brother stinks. How could you throw a party for him? And so he just burns with anger. And we see that, like, this is a bad thing. He is burning with his pride. Because what he's saying is not, the problem with this isn't that he's mad at his brother. The problem with the older brother is that his pride has taken over his heart. Like for some of us, we've never really, I used to never relate to the story because I was like, if like, here's a hypothetical situation. You know, if someone's in jail, they've done something horrible and they're in jail and then they hear about Jesus and they turn to Jesus. Like, I think all of us would be like, amen, right? (laughs) We're like, yes, good thing. I love that. I love to hear about it. I want people to turn to Jesus. And so I've never really been like the older brother that's like, I'm not like mad someone turns to Jesus and Jesus forgives them. You know, it's like, I'm not like, how dare you, God, be gracious. It's like, no, that's not a thing. And so I think though that the the problem, what it's pointing out, isn't that that he's mad about the forgiveness, it's that it's the pride of the older brother. Like his pride steals him of his joy that his brother has returned home. His pride is saying this, God, my life is like this. Why have you not changed it? Like, I would have done it differently. And so for some of us in the room, here's prideful heart heart moments I have had that you might relate to. I've done this. I've been having a difficult time in life, and I've said, God, I've been following you for a long time. I memorize your word. I go to church. I go to small group. My life still stinks. Lord, what are you doing? And so in those moments, my pride builds up in my heart and I am stealing, like it is stealing me of any joy because what I'm saying is, God, I deserve something and God, you're not good enough because you don't love me the way I want you to love me. And so pride robs us of our joy. We see it with the teachers and we see it all of the time today. I hope that you can understand that for some of you, the reason you might be here today is to recognize as you read this story that pride is stealing joy in your life. 
that you have been just caught in this headspace where you're saying, God, if only I was in control, I would do it this way. How dare you? And that's stealing you of your joy that God wants to offer. He's a God of undeserved kindness and grace. And so when you start to think it is a deserved kindness or a deserved forgiveness, you're getting it wrong. Here is the fourth thing that I want us to consider this. Our response to Jesus's grace, his undeserved kindness, his undeserved favor is worship. Remember verse 12, it's how the story ends. He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. They were amazed, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. When we experience and we remember and think about or tell stories of the grace of God in our life, that should lead us to praise. It should drive us into worship. We see it throughout the scriptures. It's not just in this story. Like Jesus does something amazing and they say, praise God, he's, he's worthy of our praise. And so this evening, July 3rd, 2022, you're never gonna get today back. And so I'm gonna invite us into a time to like not just sing songs because that's what you do at the end of church, but to sing songs to, to recognize that, man, I am just like this man. I've sinned against God and God gives me an undeserved kindness. He welcomes me into his family and I get to be full of love as he seek to honor him and I'm gonna just praise him for it. Like I'm gonna sing songs, not just because that's something my friends are doing, but because in the core of your heart, you're saying God is worthy of praise in my life. And for some of you who are not there yet, for those of you who are like, I don't feel like praising him. I don't feel like worship. I'm, I'm not totally there. Then I invite you to praise him by writing some prayers. To write some of those prayers that might sound like, God, I'm really mad at you. You do not know what you're doing. Man, I wish my life was different. Like write those out, bring them to the father because he is a God who gives grace. He is a God who gives undeserved kindness. And so he calls us either to go and accept some grace, to engage with God through prayer by writing them out, or through worship and praise as we get to sing some final songs. So I'm gonna pray for us and we get to do just that. Lord, we, we thank you that 2,000 years ago you did miracles and people turned to lift their voices of praise and worship to you. And God, I thank you that tonight we get that opportunity to say that Jesus, your King, to say that, God, you have given us an undeserved kindness and grace that we do not deserve. I have wronged you. We have made mistakes day after day after day. And tonight we get the chance to turn back to you and to say, Jesus, you give us grace. You offer forgiveness despite what horrible things we might be doing or feeling or thinking, Lord. God, help us to turn to you. God, I pray that your spirit would be moving in our hearts to have conversations with friends, to have conversations with leaders about what is going on in their lives that might be um, uh, causing pride in our hearts. So God, would your spirit convict us of our pride? Would you humble us before you as we get to just say, Jesus, you're worthy. God, you're the King. And Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.